right, uh, welcome everyone to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast. Today with your host Bernhard Günther, and my very special guest today is Randy Morgans, host of the radio show Off Planet Radio, and uh, his radio show. I believe you guys just had uh, your tenth anniversary. It's been going yes. for a while, right? Yes, that's this year, 2020. Yep. Exactly. And uh, I've been a big fan of the show for many years, and uh, he and his partner, also Emily Moyer, cover many topics from the paranormal, spirituality, French science, alternative science, and anything. But I always always appreciated um, um, your authenticity and integrity within your own work, right? And it's hard to come by sometimes today in this field of so-called alternative media, which, yeah. you know, it's a swamp out there. It so, is, yeah. So, anyway, first of all, welcome to the show, Randy. Thank you for thank you for ha thank on. you for having me on and uh, for the kind words. Appreciate that. Absolutely, yeah. Because you also you remember coming across your podcast many many years ago, and you actually I remember you were one of the first ones had Eve Lorgan on and introduced mm -hmm. me to her work many years ago, which helped me to process some of my own stuff, especially the love by top relationship and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've been definitely groundbreaking veteran out there. And we have a lot to cover. So I want to dive into many different topics. But one of the things I would like to really, you know, hear from you, maybe the listeners as well, your own, your own personal journey. How did you, you know, when you first found that splinter in your mind, so to speak, when you realize we, life is not what we have been told it's taught and uh, truth is actually stranger than fiction. And how did it lead you to, um, to create Off Planet Radio? <laughs> The splinter in my mind. Um, that's, that's actually like a whole story in itself because it kind of goes back to childhood <clears throat> and a lot of paranormal things that happened then. Um, bad memories going back to three years old of contact with, we would call them maybe ETs. To me, that's not my concept at that time. Um, I, <clears throat> UFO experiences from the time I was 11, intensely up through my teens, and my suspicions about being part of certain aspects of mind control programs as well. And going forward, there was a lot of years of healing. Um, I was dealing with childhood sexual assault issues. And so I basically went through a real long protracted period of... Um, healing um, externally, internally, using whatever methods I could find, um, getting stable, kind of <clears throat> adapting to the matrix for a long time. Um, from my 30s forward, I just kind of drifted for a long while, happy to have stabilized. But that splinter's always been there. It, it influences just about everything that I do in some way. I don't do things normally. I don't function normally. I don't think normally. You know, I can be rather inappropriate at times. So um, the, the nexus for all of this was that in 2003, I had gone on numerous legs of spiritual journeys that landed me in different places and different disciplines along the line, including Christianity. And I was um, doing shortwave radio on a network out of um, Southern Oregon. Pretty interesting operation. I actually did that for 
seven years up until the time that we began, I say we, it was me, uh, sort of launched off Planet Radio. And that was alternative Christianity that looked at things from uh, a very different perspective than what we understand is is brought out by the churches. <clears throat> but I reached a, a kind of terminus with that when I realized that <clears throat> What was being presented in these these books they call the scripture were in fact um, on on some level demiurge and war gods and that we were pawns in a game uh, that was basically designed to keep us in constant turmoil and conflict and fear and doubt, believing that we were sinners, believing that we were imperfect, and believing that we needed an external savior. Which went right into Off Planet Radio because the external, the externalization of salvation, is is actually a big part of what I've worked on over the years, of basically identifying different programs because they are programs that hook into us in a way to create this need for external validation of who we are and an external salvation process rather than focusing on the inner process. So that's kind of the nutshell of how we got to where we are in 2020 in terms of my personal work. Mm -hmm. thank, thank you for sharing, Randy. So because that's you also what you just mentioned at the, at the end, that's also I see um, what you mentioned a lot, a key point. It's like almost your tagline, the truth is out there and it's inside you. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you also realized early on, yes, we need to understand like the control <clears throat> mechanisms, the programming out there, but essentially it's about, it's also somewhat distracting us from what we need to like look within ourselves to confront ourselves yeah. or to find the truth within ourselves and see how that actually also then quote unquote creates reality. Right. In the, uh, even without with yeah. all the distortions around reality creation, but there's something about, you know, tuning inside rather than getting distracted by you know, this whole matrix mechanisms at the same time. It's almost a paradox, right? It is a paradox. That slogan actually comes from me hybridizing <clears throat> the X-Files, the truth is out there, and the words of the person they call Yeshua or Jesus in the New Testament who told us that the kingdom of God is within us. Yeah. That was actually the point where I transitioned away from established religious doctrine Because when I went back and I looked at, you, you have this book, this black book, this black cube called the Bible. And, and, and it's not really a book. It's a compilation of a lot of writings over a very long period of time. And I spent years dissecting it and analyzing it, looking at it, doing linguistic analysis, looking at Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and trying to parse this thing out. And one day I read that one line, the kingdom of God is within you. And I went, well, what the hell else do you have to say after that? <laughs> it kind of got real simple. It was like, okay, I think we got to the nub of this thing. So time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because, you know, I can relate to this in my own process as well. You know, you have the disillusionment, you're 
your own almost paranormal experience, if that's something else out there controlling us, programming us. You can, you know, interpret it in many other ways, be it the ET, the demiurge, hostile forces, the hyperdimensional aspect, or a manifest in the 3D matrix, as we know, whatever group, elite, Illuminati, whatever you want to focus on, but it's the same force, more or less, kind of that works through and acts through humans and then can also act through us, right? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, especially if the Bible is interesting because also I, I didn't have a Christian upbringing per se, but I also read the Bible. And it is interesting because there are hidden gems of esoteric truths hidden within it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So you don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater, so to speak, you know. Um, so, you know, so what have I'm just also curious because, as you just mentioned, we just mentioned you had your 10th anniversary of Off Planet Radio. It's quite a long stretch. 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I know you had a show around it, but can you also encapsulate what you have seen, you know, or experienced or, over the past 10 years in terms how the world has changed, not like externally, but also in the so-called alternative media, like the good, the bad, the ugly in the sense? <laughs> yeah, it's been, well, the alternative media didn't really exist per se when I began doing all this. Um, I think alternative media really took off um, around 2012. I think that's when we began to see a platform largely because of YouTube, which universalized something that um, the media itself was kind of scattered. Um, the original format for what we call podcasts, back in 2003, um, Dave Weiner and Adam Curry wrote the original models for what's called the RSS feed, which is really simple syndication, which created the mechanism to distribute media across the feed. Um, I was following that and began writing code on a website to distribute podcasts. So podcasts were going, first they had nowhere to go, then Apple came in and did iTunes, which kind of became ground zero for podcasts for a long time. And then, of course, people began to discover WordPress and other blogging platforms that also had syndication. So it, the platform sort of developed over time in terms of media distribution. But I don't think anybody had a handle on it until it began to germinate this distinct sort of disclosure, uh, woke type of meme and you began to see alternative media gel around the truth movement. Mm -hmm. The truth movement, I have obviously going back much further, my experience with the truth movement goes back to the 90s, which was the patriot movement in the United States. But then it goes forward after 9-11 into um, the deeper dives that people began to take into what actually happened on 9-11, and that dog leg back as well. In the early days, I was doing a lot of podcasts where we were going back and comparatively looking at conspiracy theories like the JFK assassination, or that whole series of events that happened in the 60s. So it began to gel around some very solid ideas that there were a group of people who were attempting to navigate a very broad field of information and come together with some concept of how badly we've been screwed with. And that then took on this alternative media persona uh, 
2012, again, feels right to me because it was kind of that time when we're also dealing with the Mayan calendar and a lot of the ascension things, the spirituality stuff was coming through that as well. And it really began to gel because YouTube became a platform that people could access with great ease. Uh, I would say it's an addiction now, but YouTube sort of gelled all that. So it was a different world. There were, I never considered that my show was popular. I I have been shocked over the years who's heard the show and, and where they found it, because to me, it felt like it was underground, which is a lot. Emily and I talk about this. And when we say alternative media, we identify as the underground. We're basically underground radio today. Mm-hmm. And what's become alternative media has, sadly, in the last five years, been so heavily co-opted by, if you look beneath the surface, major media outlets, yeah. funding and financing, what we think is underground alternative media, but in fact is a faction of the mainstream news that's now functioning on the same platforms that we started out on, largely through YouTube. So it's more crowded now. And at the same time, it's also less diverse. That's the most amazing thing about it. It's also been used heavily in the last, I'm going to go back to 2016, 2017. But it probably even predates that because I know even back in the days of the early forums, the internet was being used to aggregate people into what you would call cult movements. Mm -hmm. And so that's continued. But the field now, um, everything's changed a little bit. And unfortunately, because there's so many bad actors on the scene, so many devious characters, people that are clearly operating from a motivation of profit and service to self, uh, there's a deep suspicion out there. I, I was quite surprised the other day on Twitter, I was actually attacked by somebody who called me a paid agent. And I went, well, that's funny, because for the last, last 10 years, I, I didn't see anybody paying my bills. Um, it does cost a little bit of money to do this. And yeah. this has been a hobby for me. Um, nobody's ever paid me. I'm grateful because we have patrons on our Patreon site that support us, but um, I never even expected that. I just figured I'd just shovel out whatever it takes to keep going. So it's a different landscape now. Um, I think it's going to thin out, and we're already seeing attrition largely because of the platform itself being YouTube, which is... It's not, it's not sustainable. If you have a sufficiently heavy message of truth, you're going to get knocked back on YouTube pretty quickly these days. So it's a different landscape now. It requires a huge amount of discernment to navigate it. Um, there's the concept of moving traffic and media that we turn audiences over. So we're now in another generation, whereas my generation, which was sort of the very rear end of that post-war Woodstock 70s period has now handed off to Generation X and the generations coming up. So we have an audience that's markedly younger than what I saw when I was doing shortwave radio. Um, These people are coming into this new. 
And this creates a tremendous amount of harvesting opportunities for certain assets because they don't have the background that we have in terms of being able to look back over a very long sweep. So uh, a lot of what I do now is try to point back to even my own early shows. I did a lot. I've been doing a lot of that, looking back at what I was doing earlier, because even I've forgotten sometimes and lost my own bearings. But it is a very different place. It's very difficult now to discern what is real, who is fake, Mm -hmm. who is being paid, and who's just simply an authentic voice out there. Yeah. No, that's, thank you for sharing that. I can, I see that as well. The, you know, a lot of people even get a lot of messages how people have a hard time discerning what is truth, what is lies. And, you know, people ask me, maybe ask you and <laughs> as if we're the authority and whatnot, right, right. you know, <laughs> um, but you made a really good point because I can see this as well. Um, you know, back in the days, and I also, I mean, I'm a bit younger than you, but I also started out in the 90s, you know, with truth seeking. And back then, mm-hmm. it was actually more, mm-hmm. you had to really search and look, find books and read, or maybe. Well, get, you would have come know. up in that era when David Icke was coming out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I remember, like, that's how I got, I got VHS tapes, VHS tapes from Icke's nine hour talks. Yeah. That's how I got yeah. into that. You know, there was Google video back then, way before YouTube, there was no Facebook. But, um, you know, now it's like you said, it's more saturated. There's way more, it's an information overload right now, you know, and people taking information in sound bites. Check out, like you mentioned, YouTube, check out YouTube video here, five minutes there, 10 minutes there. They see a, a post on Facebook and then almost get infected by it, not questioning it. And then it becomes almost, you know, its own, uh, like a virus, so to speak. And it can be easily hijacked and vector people away from what truly matters. And then also what you mentioned is interesting. We can see that as well in the other, alternative media has become like the mainstream media in many ways. It's mm-hmm. like based on sensationalism, trying to get, you know, listeners and whatnot. And uh, people want to have, you know, more, uh, you know, monetize their videos and all of that. And, you know, sure, we all may need to make a living, but then also the integrity goes down the toilet, so to speak, right? And what we truly, what what matters in the end of the day, right? And then you have, you know, huge, these big outlets like... Gaia or Collective Evolution, who is like a became like a TV station in itself, right? Not very yeah, discerning, yeah. and and it's really like uh, you know, literally, it's like tuning into TV, you know, of all the advertisement for certain shows and whatnot, and certain figureheads and whatnot, and um, you know, that's why I feel sometimes even the the term truth movement, I have more and more issues with that because what is the truth movement, <laughs> right? <laughs> And how do we define that? <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to define because our truth, well, I struggle with the term truth a lot. Um, yeah. Because it's so subjective. And it shifts all the time. My truths now are, I will say, more defined than they were maybe five to ten years ago. I don't think the fundamentals have changed much, but the perspectives and these little moments when you come across things and you have to remap a little bit because of new information. Mm-hmm. And it goes into this, how do you discern, how do, how do you deal with a, with a culture that's based on information and sound bites of such density now? I mean, I grew up in the era, and I, and I grew up in a place where 
you know, we barely had television. We had radio. But the level of information density that we had in that time was nothing like what we have now. Or the velocity of information, which is probably more important. Mm-hmm. Um, you're sub- when you subject yourself to, let's say, news feeds and the kind of media that we had when I was growing up as a kid, it was a trickle. Um, we read books a lot more, obviously, which requires a certain reflexive mindset, some introspection, and visually scanning and taking information in in a more proportionate manner. Now what we have, it's like somebody pulled the IV out and shoved a fire hose in your arm, and we are mainlining data and information at an unprecedented rate, much more than we can possibly process on a conscious level. And it's been my concern, having grown up in this tech industry, I've worked in the tech industry, I've been around computers all of my adult life in some form. And, you know, I sort of saw this coming, how this massive overload would occur, even in the days before the internet really took off, and it was um, Usenet feeds and mail lists and things like that. But I saw the information beginning to ramp up. What we have now with social media is just this, this, this system that is pumping massive amounts of not just information, but emotional content, yeah. bypassing our conscious minds. And the influence of a digital medium like this is that so much is passing through us like current that we don't consciously process, but we're still taking it in, that in the subconscious somewhere, most of this is working out. And it's why you now see people losing their shit online in real time. Because quite frankly, the velocity of information is too great for them to intake and process. It's like the Pavlovian dog response too. Exactly. Or Delgado's bulls, even worse. (laughs) It just just jammed the electrodes in the brain. Yeah. But the thing, so we're dealing actually... With a <clears throat> with another paradox, like yeah, more information is out that seemingly like you can reach more people with social media. The truth spreads faster, so to speak, right? So most people, it gives almost because I've I've um, contemplated on that as well. But even social media has changed. Facebook has changed. Remember the early days? There was basic algorithm. I see the feeds of everyone yep. doesn't matter. It wasn't you know based on my interest. And now you know the algorithm. You know, it's almost gives, I feel the illusion that more people are waking up because more, only people that see your posts are people already have the same interest, so to speak, more or less. It's starting to uh, preach to the choir while you think, oh, more and more people are actually waking up when that's not the case, right? Yeah. The algorithms are designed to morph and change, you know. Um, whereas in the early days of, of computing, software upgrades were... They were very deliberate. They were very staged. They were done over a period of time. Um, and I know this because as somebody who's been on both sides of software, I can tell you that one of the goals is that you never want to disturb the user experience to the degree that they can no longer operate within the system. Anybody that's ever had a major software upgrade and gets up and looks at their computer and doesn't know where things are or how they function anymore, experiences this. It's, it's a distortion. And 
Now the rapidity of software updates is so invisible that literally sometimes Facebook or Twitter are changing major aspects of the interface and the algorithms behind them on the fly, literally, as you're using it. We're no longer in an era where there's staged upgrades anymore. It's an ongoing shift of algorithms and software, mm-hmm. yeah. which creates a distortion field. Yeah. Um, they, I, I have speculated that this is actually part of mind control, that they want this. They want us unsteady on our feet, so to speak. They want us in a constant state of disruption while interacting with this, this software because it enables them to not only, not only change the experience, but then feedback mechanism calculate exactly what the response is to all this so that, in a sense, there's no longer beta testing of software. People don't know what beta testing is. That's the stage before the release of a piece of software. Mm-hmm. We're now real-time beta testers in a constant software evolution, yeah. which creates this distortion field in interacting with these interfaces online. Yeah, yeah and it ties also into what you know. I've talked about it as well, how this all this... Again, the paradox, this uh, technology, social media connects us more, we can communicate more, but it keeps us more glued to the screen. It keeps us head-centric, disconnected from our you know, bodies, from our feelings. We're just always looking, you know, and even like I can see to myself when you're upset, you post something like this armchair activism, it gives people a release, like, oh my God, <laughs> fuck the psychopaths, or, you know, and this and this, like it makes, it gives you the illusion you have done something just because you're posting it and, and people get upset and they almost support each other's pathologies and narcissism in so many other ways. And we saw that recently, I'm, I'm, I think we're on the same page, you have talked, uh, posted about that as well, this whole, Ricky Gervais phenomenon when he, you know, yeah. a Golden Globe, he dropping truth bombs. Everyone, yay! Finally, some, and it's been going like a virus on, on Facebook. But now you can already see it's already forgotten, more or less, right? And exactly, he, the he news was like, cycle moved. Exactly, that, and that ran for a couple of days. Yeah, and that's know, the night happened. of the Golden Globes, and then yeah, um, there was about a forty-eight hour cycle on that one, and there was response. And Gervais himself online on Twitter is posting. And when he's basically saying it, it was a fucking joke. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what a joke is. Yeah. So what he did in his Twitter post was he completely disarmed the perception that he was dropping truth bombs. Yeah. But exactly. people who looked behind the scenes at this analytically would realize, first off, what a controlled environment the Golden Globes are, just like any staged awards program, any media that appears on your screen. Um, most people don't look behind the screen to see that there's a director there, that there are camera directors, there are sound crew, there are teleprompters. Today's spe- speech was on the teleprompter. Exactly. So basically, was it was it. fed in by somebody yeah. that at least had access to and would have theoretically seen the content of that. So what was Gervais doing, in my opinion? Well, if you look at the camera angles, if you look at them panning to Tom Hanks, for instance, um, they know what the scuttle is out there about Hollywood and their involvement with human trafficking and pedophilia. And they're very aware of the perception and how they can play this. And at some point, what they do is they create a distortion field within that thought bubble. And that's what Gervais was doing. Yeah. 
I mean, this is this is dirty comedy. This is the kind of comedy that you get um, at a roast. This is effectively yeah. you having the ability as the court jester to roast the royal figure sitting there with impunity, because that's the role of the jester. Exactly. The Joker isn't that interesting. The Joker yeah. figure shows up again. <laughs> you know, we had we had the Joker movie. Uh-huh. So this disarmed people, and it went both ways. I mean, it created conflict because some people saw through it immediately, but it created conflict for people who wanted, people wanted this, people want a champion. They want somebody to stand up and speak for them. And it sounded like that was what he was doing. Yeah. But he was installing a program of cognitive dissonance into the entire conversation that disarmed the major premise of it. I mean, Harvey Weinstein was being arraigned. Harvey Weinstein was going to jail. The president's being impeached. Um, all of these names are circulating on different lists inside of Hollywood. And people are being arrested. It's just not the mass arrests or the high-level arrests that, that I think people hope to see. So in the bed of all this, Gervais interjected this, this, this virus and disrupted the entire thought flow. And for 48 hours, we argued about it. And then it was like, it's done, you know? Yeah. And what's left is a subliminal impression. Exactly how it happened many times before, because you're right, like people have this, they're like caught in hope, you know, hope and fear. So they hope that somebody finally is going to reveal the matrix. Everything's going to be break, broken down. All people, all these psychopaths are going to be arrested. And this externalization constantly. Right? So it's a savior program. Yeah, we, exactly. we, we, it's like the, 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 the movie Network. We want a Howard Beale to stand up and scream out the window, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. Brilliant movie, great message, but it was an externalization of what we should be doing. We should have all been Howard Beals. Instead, we went looking for a central figure to be Howard Beale. Yeah. And like you mentioned, it, it basically it's it's a psyop in this terms of it works like reverse psychology, you know, and uh, you know like many people I feel also are not aware of you know especially nowadays who just the kids get into it like you, the, sh the short attention span which is also installed on yeah. purpose right inability to focus and jump from information to information the perilous you know analysis paralysis you don't cannot discern anymore you just become reactive in all of that right and. Um, not being able to um, really see even like the the distraction because for me and from my perspective even the whole Weinstein thing the Epstein thing these are just minute shadows on the wall like almost they're throwing us bones to give the impression right that something is falling apart while this whole control system and we know this whole pedophilia Hollywood just goes way deeper into far darker corners than most people are aware of. Yeah, even Jeffrey Epstein, um, that's kind of a controlled narrative. What really happened there is as mysterious as the JFK assassination. Mm -hmm. What really happened, we don't know. Yeah. Because mysteriously, the cameras didn't work. <laughs> security didn't work. Um, and supposedly he's dead. Yeah. Witness disappeared. Yeah. But yeah, it's just this focus, like, I want to bring it back because like, 
what we just mentioned before, it's also a distraction from our inner world, right? And what I've noticed, I'm sure as well, that many people, many truthers, woke people, or, and I, I'm not excluding myself, I've done this in my life sometimes, you know, projecting your own dis dissatisfaction with yourself, your own unconscious wounds, whatever, onto the outside world, right? The evil is out there, bring those fuckers down and all of that, kill the psychopaths, whatever it may be, like the then even like misapplied anger, like then justifying as righteous anger when it's most often your own shadow coming out, right? Ah, Obviously, you know, there's that, yes, <laughs> there's that as well, yeah. you know. Yeah, and we don't want to take. It's not about going the the opposite, like the other trap, the new age trap, and just you know meditate on your navel and disregard the external world. But there's lack of basic psychological awareness, self awareness, right? Yeah, there's a huge amount of projection that goes on there because we are projecting our shadow sides. We are projecting our images of who we are, who we perceive ourselves to be relative to everyone else. And that shadow plays into a magnification of the evil we see around us. So we become angry because we feel like we're out of control, you know, yeah. and the whole narrative is designed to keep us unbalanced and feeling like we're out of control. Like we have no ability to affect change in a meaningful way. And this is where the, the advantage of having time and experience pays out because, you know, you asked me earlier about the last 10 years and my perspective would be, well, what about the last 40 years? Because I think things have changed phenomenally. And I do think awareness has been raised. And I do think that overall people are more perceptive now. The war is on perception and consciousness because perception and consciousness has risen. Mm -hmm. And people have to remember that. You know, the only reason you're in a war is because there was something there that needed to be taken down. And they have some marvelous toys to play with, and the technology is part of that. But the technology also empowered us. So pe when, when people complain about, and I do it too, because there's a component to technology I don't like. But when people complain about the technology, I point out to them, this technology first empowered us. It gave us a place to speak. And if it was YouTube, fine, it was YouTube. For a while, we were able to use that. Is it going to be locked down? Absolutely. Is it going to be commercialized? Yes. Is it going to be co-opted? It always has been. But we put that out there into the memosphere. That thought is persistent and it's not going to go away and it's going to sit there and it's going to germinate and it's going to throw itself against this background of conflict that we have. And hopefully ultimately it prevails as a, as a magnification of the truth. So everything that we do is important in terms of putting it out there and not feeling defeated because the tanks came in and ran down the front lines Yeah, it's, yeah. It's really important. No, it's true. I think that's also, you know, by, you know, I can see people complain about Facebook on YouTube, <clears throat> you know, but at the same time you're signing up to these free services, you enter their game. So you're subject exactly. to the rules of their game. So you cannot complain, you know, technically speaking anyway. And like you said, it still helps to bring out the word. 
And I feel it's also, that's how the matrix, so to speak, works as well. Even with uh, Edward Snowden, all like I feel in the cyber in itself to give us, to tell us, oh, you're being watched, you're being, uh, you know, surveillance and all of that. Be afraid, be paranoid, don't put yourself out, don't speak, right? It's almost that the matrix works on this fear frequency to make you feel you're constantly under you know, surveillance, so to speak. But if enough people speak out, the more you put yourself out there, they cannot possibly control it. It's almost they also like to give us the illusion of control to to silence us in a sense. Yeah, I mean, we are under surveillance. We've always been under surveillance. Yeah. When you go back and you start to look at the ancient systems, you begin to understand the archons and what the Gnostics were telling us. When you start to understand that you were given an image of a God who knows everything about you, what part of surveillance society don't you get? I mean, even Santa Claus, you're a little kid, you're growing up, and he's going, That's well, true. he knows everything about you, and you're going to get a coal, a lump of coal in your stocking this year because you weren't a good little boy and girl. They've installed that paranoia into yeah. us. You know, that's a very good point because, you know, like sometimes people I see that are very much overly focused on the 3D matrix, mm -hmm. right? With that paranoia program. And, you know, that paranoia program also, you create you that thought from that reality in itself and actually then create it on, on some level or attract it to yourself, you know, through the, because how these forces create through us. Not understanding, like, the moment you're on the internet, nowadays there's technology out there, they can know anything about you. You don't even Absolutely. have to be, you know, it's not about like, oh, I'm going to delete my Facebook, get off YouTube. No, they can see and know anything based on the technology and let alone what you just mentioned from a hyperdimensional perspective, archons, who like, <laughs> you know, working through our minds, scanning us, ET technology, who knows? It's way beyond our comprehension. Yeah, I mean... And this is where interactions with the paranormal were useful when you begin to understand the telepathic aspect of it. When you understand that something's scanning you. Yeah. And that was part of what the projects were dealing with as well. And intelligence operations have always wanted to be able to access telepathic function. Um, that was a lot of what went into Stanford Research Institute's background experiments into remote viewing and bringing people in who were psychics, like Ingo Swan. Um, the military has been very interested in this. Uh, the truth of the matter is that we've always been interested in it because it's always been there. We are psychic beings. Somehow or another... And I don't know where this occurred, but when I was doing my alternative Christian thing, I looked at the Tower of Babel thing and I went, you know what? The perfect way to accomplish scattering people and making them not understand each other isn't scattering their tongues. It's taking away their telepathic functions. Hmm. Let's see. The whole ET meme brought that back into reality because people who have had ET contacts experiences know, uh, they know pretty much when you're being scanned. You even probably have a pretty good idea of when you're going to be abducted because there is that, that, that presence that comes over that happens, you know, around that time. There's an energy, there's an invasion. Um, the, various cycles of sleep where they're able to begin to access you. And 
So if they shut down an aspect of our consciousness that disabled or semi-disabled our telepathic abilities, we're sort of functioning on a reduced level. But I've been in the mindset mm, for a long time that a lot of this was being restored. Like my sense of where we are in time goes into what was occurring after the Second World War and why we wound up with the structure that we have in the United States, which formalized into the military-industrial complex and gave us all of these different spook agencies and this black science stuff. We were in a time when we were literally starting to see the incarnation, the influx of souls coming in who were prepared to retake the ground that was lost in those earlier epochs when our DNA was messed with, when our innate capabilities psychically were taken from us. And I mean, this goes back again to when I was a kid. Even my own mother used to tell me that people could be psychic. She was pretty psychic. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's never been a stretch to believe that we have the ability to perceive on that level. So all of the technology that we have now that we know about and a lot of what's behind the scenes is a synthesis of something that we don't need technology for at all. Yeah. You know, jokingly one time somebody said, so what if they take the internet down? How would you do a radio show? And I went, well, maybe we'll just do it telepathically. <laughs> but why not? Yeah. Why couldn't a group of people mind melt and communicate? Yeah. And in fact, I think we do that. I, I've had dreams and I've had conversations online with other people who collectively are beginning to dream together, who are beginning to access a common mind that enables them in some way to collaborate intuitively. Yeah. Now I can see it even like on a very basic level, like many people can relate, even with my, my wife, Laura, we have a very strong psychic connection. I mm -hmm. think something, mm -hmm. and she says it, and it's very simple. We are just yes. very much in tune. This is just there. You just, you can develop it. And that reminds me again, another paradox, like you mentioned before, yes, the technology has helped us in so many ways, but it's also this, ex this externalization of technology has disconnected us from our inner technology. Yes. Right. And the illusion, oh, we are so advanced, evolved, look at all this technology. And we look at these ancient Uh, civilizations eradicated from a history books, you know, you know, we, we don't see any like, uh, you know, or has been suppressed archaeological findings and whatnot, but they didn't have, they had internalized technology, mastery over the psyche, you know, over physical reality in many different yeah. ways. And, you know, even like if you, nowadays, if you really pursue like a sincere, uh, Uh, spiritual practice, you know, there are, you can develop spiritual power cities of, you know, yogis to be known to travel time, uh, remote viewing, you know, these are latent talents we can all develop, but we need to go inside in order to develop them. It's not, we're not going to find them out there, so to speak. So all of that, obviously, like, let's get into that a little bit, um, ties into the dawning of transhumanism and AI. So where yeah. do you feel is that leading us to? I think they're, they've, they've been attempting this for a very long time. Um, I think they've been attempting it going back to <clears throat> the MKUltra projects and the super soldier programs. Mm -hmm. And I know some of these people. I, I know that they were augmented in certain ways. I know that they were 
paired with certain groups of people telepathically using both natural abilities and a synthesis of technology as well. Lots of implants, lots of augmentation, genetic, genetic reengineering. Um, those were the earliest experiments in the modern era that we have of this. And it's very clear that what they want is they want a human robotic. They want increasingly to take down the organic human experience, which is the experience of the soul, the experience of 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 a human being at their very core, which is not controllable, it's not predictable. And then the AI comes in, and I have to stress, when people talk about artificial intelligence, they give it a lot more power than I think it deserves to have. It is still artificial. Mm-hmm. And as nearly as I can tell based on the technology that I can look at, they have developed extremely sophisticated algorithms to do enormously, frankly, useful things in some regards. Things that I'm grateful for. It. I work I work in computer-aided design and manufacturing, and I'm grateful for the little robots that enable us to do things that we couldn't do as fast or at the level of precision that these machines do them. In that sense, they have relieved us of a certain level of drudgery. They have also enhanced our abilities to create things at a very high level. You know, 3D printers is fantastic technology. So I'm not a technophobe. The AI that we believe is being developed that would be sort of like the Elon Musk brain chip implant. That's the scary stuff. And the question becomes, what do we do once it's inserted inside of us? Hmm. So we're still dealing with a physical layer to this. I don't see any way around that. We are being controlled by algorithms all around us. Now our traffic lights, our electrical grids, um, Every system in the Western world is, is run by computer systems now. Um, in a way, that's good because it can be very efficient. But we don't want to lo- let, we do not want to cede control of these things to the degree that they begin to operate as proxies for what should be rightfully human decisions, which are the decisions that come from inside of us. The, the, the soul is the very center of where we operate. It's not the head. You said it earlier. They keep putting us back inside of our head. Our head simply, it's simply a receiver. It's not even where our mind is. The brain itself Mm. is not the mind. And so we're looking at a thing and we're mistaking it for something that sits behind it, which is much more difficult to track. I said this in in an interview in December. What is the you that views the you that sees the you? Because there's three levels to this, the observational level. There's a consciousness layer. And Emily and I talked about this in the end of the year show. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing I have ever had to talk about is the primacy of consciousness. Is being able to functionally identify who we are inside this construct. And if we stay focused on that, if we develop a sense of ourselves, if we develop spiritual practices 
and a sense of relating to our physical space, of continuing to embody ourselves in a very real sense, the danger of AI really goes way down. Um, I don't have a fear of it. I have a fear of the fact that people want this, and I think that's a bigger danger. Yeah. Now, these are excellent points, Randy, that brings up a lot. Number one, people are very much attracted to it because also the obsession nowadays with you, with your physical body, right? And even AI or transhuman can actually have amazing medical breakthroughs, but it can also become this addiction to ex extend physical life and just make yourself younger and in all of that. So that's the entry point, right? But you said a very important point to remember because I'm also not a technophobe. You don't want to get into fear of, oh, my AI transhumanism, it's a big evil and fuck technology and all of that. But you said it's still artificial and we have our organic, quote unquote, technology, our soul essence, which can and will override everything when if yes. we can tune into it. Then, you know, I see, unfortunately, a lot of people in the so-called truth movement also throwing out spiritual practice, the baby with the bathwater, right? Like meditation is also bad, yoga is bad, and it can be used for mind control. We know that or dissociation, spiritual bypassing, but there are esoteric there's esoteric technology literally you know where you tune into and bring your soul to the front and activate you know your dna basically and you know that ties also into what a with transhumanism ai the whole talk about chemtrails 5g and all fear around it right when there's a, yeah. to be some yeah. awareness around it but i also feel like people then wear all these shields, you know, like you become like the <laughs> the archetypal tinfoil thing, you know, with trying to shield yourself and all of that. That's fine and good. But I also feel like if you really embodied your soul and really rise that frequency on that level in the true meaning of the word of bringing your soul to the front, that serves as a protection as well from these artificial interferences. If you really, you know, embody your true soul being, that's the way out of the matrix, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can literally begin to build shield systems in the light body. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've talked about that before, and I've had a fair amount of criticism from people who think that that's occult. Okay, that's occult, but let's look at occult for a minute. What does that mean? That's, that's just hidden. Yeah. You know, do you fear what's hidden or do you seek what's hidden? Is what hidden e is evil, or is it something that you search out? Mm. You know, so when we define something as occult, that's a sign some order of darkness, but that's not really what that's about. Um, we can we can protect ourselves in enormously different manners of just staying out of the field of certain. I mean, there's just places I don't want to be. Yeah. You know, I, I can't, for, I love music. I can no longer go to a rock concert <laughs> <Me too. laughs> because, because when I go there, I'm very aware of the directed energy that's a being directed at the crowd itself and b the harvesting that's going on from the loose fest. That's these mm. massive events. Yeah. yeah. So mm, there's a part of me that would, you know, back in the day loved go, going to see Pink Floyd or something like that. No way you get me near that now. Yeah. Because of the intensity of the energy. So that's a protective mechanism. Uh, building our bodies, um, again, using just practices of breath and, and calming and meditation and just being able to take control of our internal and immediate external domain. 
being aware of what's going on around us. We have the ability to shut things down. Yeah. And this is where the human empowerment comes in. Again, you know, we live in a world that is somewhat toxic. We always have. I mean, we were plunked down on a world where, you know, we don't have hair on us for whatever reason. We're the naked animal. And we live in a world full of temperate zones that, you know, that'll either fry you or freeze you. So we survive. The human biology is also very adaptable. So when we deal with it on those layers, we begin to see that, while it would be really nice if we didn't have to combat the hits that we take energetically, we also do have the ability to defend. We do have the ability to evolve ourselves internally and externally to deal with the stress that these systems are putting on us. Yeah, exactly. Then also keep in mind what we've touched upon before. I feel the matrix worse to keep us in this state of fear and paranoia fear. and externalization and if you're afraid of 5g of chemtrails that's the frequency they want that's what they feed off of right and then you project your own stuff externally your shadow and all of that and it also ties into this you know which we see as well the whole divide and conquer you know that's kind of like the underlying agenda you know from a harvesting perspective to pit us against each other and, 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 you know, be this, this, this emotional outrage and all of that, which we talked about before as well. And that's really what, what it comes down to that, you know, we are being fed upon uh, our soul essence, so to speak. That's kind of like yeah. on the very like basic, simplistic level, yep. really the agenda by in whatever term ways they can get to it. Right. Externally. Yeah. And everything's kind of distorted. I mean, the divide and conquer thing, is done all the time. That's they, they, they slice and dice us according to our differences. Um, and we have a world which then politicizes all that. So that things that are legitimate become yeah, like social justice warrior type things where people become militant and lose the focus of what it was they were speaking out about. And the Me Too movement, which was valid, but then got trivialized and marketed in a certain way so that it again lost its resonance, its true core. Mm -hmm. it, it goes back to Ricky Gervais again. You know, how our thought processes are derailed and then we're splintered. Yeah. And I mean, there is a time, and I, you and I both, are, I think, agree on this. There are times when you call people out. There are times when there is an enemy camp out there. There yeah. are people screwing with other people's perceptions, with creating cult-like atmospheres, and for, quite frankly, running businesses on, yeah. on top of spirituality. That's not to say that spiritual teachers shouldn't be paid and that they shouldn't be rewarded. But I think we saw this, and I'll just say it, with the whole Corey Good thing mm -hmm. was, you know, quite frankly, that needed to be called out because yeah. that was an atrocity against the entire movement. No, and, I, I agree. Yeah. But at the same time, am I going to divide and split her off with people that basically I agree with when about 80 to 90% of most things? No. I mean, we have to agree in enough commonality to be able to approach the work from a constructive standpoint yeah 
No, very. That, that's very good point, and I want to and maybe go deep into that in a second hour as well. But you're right. The differentiation, divide and conquer, doesn't mean just we need to not speak out or just try to get along with everyone. No, we need to also be in the warrior yep. attitude, right? And the sort of truth sometimes calls a spade a spade. You know, I think it has just become, and Corey Good is a great example. I've spoken out, you know, David Wilcock, the same, yep. you know, that whole movement that ties into the whole um, commercialization of the alternative media, basically, right? It becomes like a Star Wars movie, <laughs> literally, in some aspects. But um, I think what I've also noticed, though, the fine line is, and we saw it in the Me Too movement and the you know, exposure of pathological gurus and all of that, and the social justice warrior attitude when it turns into, you know, when your own agenda, your own unprocessed issues get mixed into calling out other people, right? Yeah. And then it becomes yeah. like fueled by your own anger and revenge and take this person down rather than, no, this is what's, you know, staying more grounded. This is not an integrity. This needs to be looked at. There needs to be accountability, you know, but not getting too attached into like, okay, I'm going to now call everybody out, whoever's not speaking truth according to me, right? So it's that yeah. fine balance. And like you said, you need to call it. And so this is what it is. I'm not going to invest it into more on that, right? And move on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent, Randy. So let's uh, take a short break for, um, uh, cool. before we dive into the second hour. We want to talk, just let the listeners know, I want to dive deeper into like also what, into what this year and the coming times will bring 2020 what you call the eye of the needle um i want to also talk more about uh, a little bit um you know reality creation and the individual taking self-responsibility what is truth and yeah. lies and look a bit more also what a little bit into this swamp called et disclosure and contact <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that one. Mm. yeah yeah and um again if you're a member uh, the second hour uh, is available on my website if not you can sign up at veilofreality.com and randy's website you have a patreon web page as well right um yeah uh that's probably where we should send people now the website's become very outdated and we're trying to work to update that uh patreon.com forward slash off planet media and the website is offplanetradio.com for future reference because we will bring that back to be uh the platform again excellent and i'll also link to that in the Info section. Alrighty, guys. Thank See you. you. See you in the second hour.